Okay, so the nine mental abidings. This is the section that we're on now. Okay, so if you have your main outline, okay, we've talked about arranging the proper circumstances and the five deterrents and the eight antidotes. And so what we have left are the nine stages, you know, that we practice to develop calm abiding because there's nine stages that we, that are kind of um, like the steps in developing calm abiding. And in the nine stages, you practice six mental powers and four types of engagement that help you go through these nine stages. And these nine stages are, um, we shouldn't think of them as, as like concrete self-existent stages. These are just kind of things that are, are categories that are kind of described so that you get a feeling of the kind of flow that you go through as you're, as you're developing calm abiding, okay? The kind of the progression of steps um, in which the mind gets trained and subdued in order to, to actually reach calm abiding. So that's what these nine are. Okay, so the first one is called setting the mind or placing the mind. And here, again, there's various translations for these things. So what I say may not be what you read in the book because, you know, translators say different things. So the first one is called setting or placing the mind. And this is the one when you're first starting out and you're just struggling to get the object. Okay? You know, so if we, let's say we take the, the example of the image of the Buddha here. Okay? So we sit down and we're just like trying to, to get the object. And most of the time our mind is in distraction. <laughs> yeah. We kind of get the object for a couple of seconds and then the mind goes away and then you bring it back and then the mind goes away. And so in this first step, the distractions are much, much more than the amount of time you actually spend focused on the object. Okay, accurate description. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes when you're on this one, it appears that the thoughts are getting worse than they than they used to be, and people very often say this when they start to meditate: "Of my mind is crazier now than it was before." And it isn't that it's crazier now and that there's more thoughts. It's just that we're noticing them. You know, when you live by the highway all the time, you don't hear the cars. But when you go away on vacation and then come back, the noise seems like thunder. So it's like when we sit down to finally try and concentrate, the distractions just seem like they're getting worse, but they aren't. Okay, rest assured. Um, so this one is done, uh, what we're basically practicing of the powers here is the one on hearing because we've had to hear the teachings from our teacher and try and remember them. And so we're just kind of hearing and thinking about them and recalling them. Um, you know, all the teachings on calm abiding that we got, all the teachings about what the object looks like, what the object is, how to try and focus on it. And the type of engagement is called forceful or other translations are painstaking. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's such a good one, though. But it's, the idea is that the beginning, the mind is really controlled, and so the kind of, of force that, that's necessary or the kind of uh, mental engagement that's necessary is one that, that needs a little bit more force to it because um, it's right at the beginning and the mind is so bananas. Okay, so... Um, 
So we're just starting out, you know, with with mindfulness, with memory, trying to get the object to meditation. So that's the first stage. Then the second stage is called continuous setting or continuous placing. And on this one, uh, again, the concentration is constantly interrupted by scattering. So on these first two ones, although, of course, laxity and excitement are there, you know, scattering is the predominant thing because the mind is, is, is very soon off on one thing or another or somewhere else or getting angry or planning our, our future, thinking of our past, somewhere, something. Okay? So that's going on on the second one. But the thoughts are beginning to take a rest here because of this force during the first stage and the second stage of, you know, keeping on bringing the mind back, um, then the mind begins to rest. So it's like if your child just keeps running away and you just keep bringing him back and he runs away and you bring him back. After a while, the kid gets the, the point, you know, begins to, doesn't run away quite, quite so often and when they're away, they don't stay away quite so long. Okay, so, there's, so there's some progress here that you can begin to see. And so um, here you can stay on the object a little bit longer, and the length of the distraction of the scattering isn't as great as before. So that's the difference from the previous stage. And here the, um, the engagement is still, still forceful engagement, but the power is the one of thinking because what you're doing more thinking and reflection and recalling of the object of meditation. The first stage, it was more just hearing the instructions, remembering what you heard, and here something's beginning to get integrated because you're thinking and mulling it over and going it over again and again, recalling um, what the Buddha looks like. Then the third stage is called resetting. Okay, so here... Of course, we still have scattering, you know. And remember, scattering can be to a virtuous object, you know. We're trying to focus on the Buddha, and instead we start thinking about precious human life, or we start thinking about Tara, or, you know, something else. Uh, or, or scattering could include, you know, non-virtuous things. Um, we start getting really angry, really resentful, um, jealous, you know, we're comparing ourselves to other people, and you know, getting proud or, or something like that. So that's all that's included in the scattering. So that's happening all during these first three stages. But in the, in the third stage of resetting, the scattering is, is recognized much quicker. Okay? So the mind goes off and you're much quicker to recognize it. Before the mind would go off and you wouldn't recognize it until the bell rang. Okay, um, now the mind goes off. You're beginning to recognize it on your own and, and bring it back. Okay, so the mind is, is um, the mindfulness is increasing, and of course, so is, is your, um, your introspective alertness. Um, and before, the mind couldn't return to the object as readily once it was distracted. But now it's beginning to, when you bring it back to the object, to the Buddha, it, it's beginning to, to go, the, to be more compliant and to go back there more readily. So in the third stage, the engagement is called interrupted. Okay, so you're over the forceful one. Um, and it's called 
Yeah, either interrupted or sometimes it's called repeated. Um, the idea being that it, you're repeating it, okay? You're repeatedly um, renewing your attention, and your attention is interrupted. It's not completely smooth because there's stiller interruptions with scattering, with laxity, with excitement. Uh, and the power is that you're emphasizing here is the one of mindfulness. Because you're, you know, it's not that you didn't have mindfulness before. You had mindfulness in the first and second and third and first and second stages. But here, because of that, your mindfulness is kind of coming up and it's getting a little bit firmer. So one important thing is I'm going through these different powers. You know, these six powers. In each stage, there's this particular power that's sticking out. That doesn't mean that you don't use it in the other stages. It just means that at this stage, it's like the the predominant one. Okay? And simply also because I name like one distraction or, or one kind of hindrance that's more prominent at each stage, it doesn't mean you don't have the other ones. It just means like that's the chief one that you're focusing on. Okay? But you're seeing that there's some kind of progression. The mind's getting a little bit tamed here. And then the fourth one is called close setting or close uh, placing. And here the mind is much more familiar with the object, much closer to the object. And you're better able to set the mind on the object. And at this point, you don't really lose the object anymore. I mean, this one sounds really good to me, you know. I mean, imagine getting the point where you don't really lose the object. I mean, sometimes you might have subtle um, subtle um, excitement, you know, where your mind is there under the surface kind of thinking about something else or there's subtle laxity or, you know, you get spaced out and all. But you never really completely lose the object and go off and never, never land until the bell rings. Okay? That just doesn't happen anymore. Your mind's always somehow kind of close to the object. So you can really see you're beginning to get somewhere at this point. Okay, so um, the the coarse dullness is actually the, the biggest problem in, on this stage, okay, where we have um, stability, we have some clarity, but not so much clarity. The mind is kind of, it gets spaced out, the coarse kind of lacks. And so the engagement here is still the interrupted one because our concentration isn't smooth. It still has interruptions from laxity and excitement. And the power is one of mindfulness because the mindfulness is just getting really strong. And it's the mindfulness, the strength of the mindfulness at this, at this fourth stage that um, allows us to remain on the object without ever really losing it again. Then the fifth stage is called disciplining or uh, taming or controlled. There's different translations. Maybe taming is a nicer one. Um, and here, okay, what happened is uh, because of the fourth one, you got, you know, your mind was getting pretty stable on the object because you weren't really losing it. And here what happened is the mind kind of got too sunk into the object and so laxity becomes a problem on the fifth stage, specifically the subtle kind of laxity. Somehow the mind got too withdrawn. It got, too, yeah, too withdrawn. That's exactly it. Um, and so the subtle laxity is a problem. And remember, subtle laxity was when you had stability, you had clarity, but your clarity wasn't very intense. 
and the, the subjective clarity of the mind. So the mind somehow, you know, it's not quite altogether there. And this was the one that they said to, to really be careful about. So this was the, the, pre the chief um, fault on the fifth stage. And so here, the engagement is still interrupted because we're obviously interrupted in this case mostly by subtle laxity, of course sometimes by excitement and other things, but mostly subtle laxity. But the power here is the one of introspection. Um, because remember when we went through the, the hindrances, when we were talking about uh, laxity and excitement, the, the um, antidote to those was introspection, the introspective alertness. And this is the mental factor that pops up and checks up from time to time. Am I still focusing? Am I spaced out? And of course we had that before on the earlier stages and we were developing it all along. But on this stage it's the one we're really relying on chiefly. Um, because by having that introspective alertness, by getting that fine tune, then we're able to recognize the subtle laxity. Yeah, only by having a, a more finely tuned um, introspective alertness can we discern the subtle laxity and then, of course, uh, tighten the, the mode of apprehension on the object, tighten the concentration to remedy it. So that's what happens on the fifth stage. Now, the sixth stage is called pacifying or pacification. And on the fifth stage, the preceding stage, you know, because of the subtle laxity, we were tightening the concentration. You know, to, to get the concentration tighter, to get the strength of the clarity back. And what happened is we kind of went over the balance point a little, a little bit, and now the mind is a little bit too tight, so subtle excitement becomes the problem. Okay? So you see in all, in this whole progression, how it's a thing of finding the balance. They always compare developing concentration to tuning a guitar. Yeah. But to not do it too loose, not do it too tight, somehow in the middle there. So you can see here that the concentration's gotten a little, or the attention has gotten a little bit too tight, so agitation becomes a problem. So the subtle kind of agitation is when we're on the object, but part of the mind is kind of thinking about something else, or part of the mind is about ready to kind of jump out on a full-fledged, you know, attachment. Something like that. We're not completely there, but the mind's half daydreaming about something we really like. Okay, so that's what's happening on the sixth stage of pacifying. And so the engagement here is still interrupted. We're obviously interrupted by the subtle um, excitement. And the power, again, is introspection because the, in the introspective alertness is the one that, again, checks up and it sees, oh, look, there's, there's subtle excitement. And then it applies the antidote, yeah. bringing the attention back, lowering, making the mind more sober, thinking about death or something like that, you know, visualizing the black ball at your navel, you know, making your room a little bit darker, something like that. So um, bringing the mind in a little bit more. It's like, it's, it's loosening the concentration a bit. You know, because the, if the mind gets too tight, that's what makes the, the excitement come. Okay. Then the seventh one is called thorough pacifying. And uh, it's so called because now, um, even though, you know, different disturbing attitudes may arise in 
in the break time between medita- one meditation on this and the other, and you rely on the antidotes to uh, to get rid of them in between your sessions and your break time. But now when you're concentrating, um, the mind is, is pretty stable, and you don't fall prey to the disturbing attitudes so much. And so this is really one of the nice things about developing concentration is that when you're in meditation, you know, these these 20 secondary disturbing attitudes, they just don't come up so much. Yeah, they really start to, to kind of uh, lose their energy. And so concentration takes away the manifest disturbing attitudes in this way, but it doesn't cut them from the root. We need the wisdom to do that. But at least, you know, during that time when you're concentrating, now here by the seventh stage, you're not getting all angry at your colleague, and you're not all worried about, you know, the abuse you had when you were a child, and you're not, you know, planning your retirement and worrying how many points you have in the Social Security system, and you're not thinking about your taxes and about, you know, getting your car repaired because it got dented and I'm using, I was just thinking after I listed all those things, and they used to meditate a few hundred years ago, they didn't have those things to think about, did they? You know? <laughs> We're so lucky. We have such a, a bigger variety of things to get distracted about now. Aren't we lucky? Because <laughs> then maybe you got distracted about what your water buffalo is doing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and the hay that's on top of your roof and getting that repaired. <laughs> and getting the hole in your water bucket fixed. <laughs> I guess they had problems too. Okay, so in the seventh one, the mind is, is much, much more pacified. That's what's called thorough pacifying. So in the meditation, you aren't having these gross, um, disturbing attitudes. Sounds good, huh? So at this point, you still have some subtle um, laxity and some subtle excitement, but they aren't super big problems because your introspective alertness is strong enough by this point that you can notice them fairly quickly and apply the antidote and recenter yourself. Okay? So the things come are coming up, but they aren't, you know, super big problems now. So you can really see how your confidence is beginning to grow at this point. Okay, so um, the engagement is still interrupted. So, you know, although the laxity and, and excitement, they don't really interrupt so much now. They're still there and they're, you know, it's kind of like you haven't really completely gotten rid of them. And now the power that we rely on is uh, the power of effort. And that is effort to continually, uh, you know, keep the mind away from the laxity and the excitement. And, of course, we're using introspection. You know, we're always using it, but it's not kind of the chief thing. It's not emphasized so much here because by this time it's already pretty strong. Then the eighth step is called uh, making one-pointed or um, single-pointedness. Single-pointedness, better translation. Um, And so on this stage... What happens is when you sit down to meditate, um, you just kind of go over the details of the object of meditation, and then your mind's on it. Okay? So um, you can't immediately, you know, I mean, 
It takes some effort at the beginning of the session to kind of go over the details, but then once your mind is on the object, it's on the object, and you can just relax. And you don't need to worry about the excitement. You don't need to worry about the laxity, because the mind is pretty one-pointed here at this eighth, at this eighth stage. Um, yeah, so at the beginning of your session, you might use a little bit of effort against laxity and, and excitement, but by that time, it's like clear sailing. Okay, so at this point, um, you know, before sometimes the the uh, thing of not applying the antidotes um, was a problem, you know, before in the preceding stages, maybe you would get the laxity, you would get the excitement, and you wouldn't apply the antidote. Because remember, that was one of the obstacles, not applying the antidote. Well, you've kind of gotten over that one by the time you get to the eighth one, so that that isn't the problem. And now the problem is, again, we've swung to the other thing, is the problem is we're applying the antidote a little bit too much. Okay? And so here, that, that's the difficulty at the eighth stage, is over-application. And so here we need to really recall the equanimity. Okay? Again, before, like especially um, six and seven, maybe we really had to put some effort forth to, to apply the antidote. And especially even before that, more effort was required to apply the antidote. Um, but here, by the eighth stage, you're so much in the habit of applying the antidote that you're doing it even when it's not needed. So what's needed now is some equanimity. So the engagement now is uninterrupted because the subtle laxity and um, excitement don't arise anymore. So the engagement with the object is uninterrupted. It's, it's consistent. You sit down, you get the object, and you're gone. Okay? And the power is, uh, the power of effort has matured at this point. So it's really, really strong. Yeah, really making the efforts very clear at this point. Then the ninth stage is called setting an equipoise or equipoise, I don't know, how do you say the word? Does anybody know? Yeah? Equipoise and equipoise? Okay. Anyway, whatever the word is. Um, and so here, it basically, you can maintain um, your concentration without any effort, even though you still don't have the actual calm abiding. Okay? So again, at the beginning of the session, maybe it's kind of effort, um, but basically it's effort in the sense of just making up your mind that you're going to concentrate, yeah? It's effort in the sense of turning your mind to the object of concentration, but once you turn your mind to the object of, of your meditation, your mind's on it, okay? Like a completely obedient child, yeah? Just does whatever, it's, whatever it says. This one sounds really good, huh? And so um, meditation is just really a breeze at this point because um, just very, you know, minute amount of effort is, is needed just to turn your mind to the object of meditation. And then the rest, because of the previous training, the force of the habit of the concentration, it just flows very, very naturally. So here the engagement is called spontaneous engagement or effortless engagement. In the sense that now it, you know, your effort, it is. Your, your engagement with the object is effortless. You don't have to strain. And it's spontaneous. It's just there. And so that's why they say that, that many of these people, as, as they're developing more and more concentration, 
they they begin to look younger and, and more youthful and more radiant and more relaxed because the mind really is more relaxed. It's so well tamed, so well pacified that that it's so relaxed that you don't need to make effort to concentrate. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because we usually think of concentration as, i got to make a lot of effort and squeeze. Okay? But this is really showing that our, our tendency to push and squeeze is not what it is that causes the concentration. The concentration comes about through a relaxed mind. But this relaxation isn't the way our mind is usually relaxed. We usually think of relaxation meaning just totally space out and daydream about everything you like, yeah, or space out and go to sleep. Um, and this isn't that kind of relaxation, but it's relaxation in the sense that your mind is so well tamed that you don't have to worry about it anymore. And I guess it would be kind of like when you're bringing up a child, you know, at first, you know, like you take your, your, your child over to, to your relative's house and you don't know what in the world your kid's going to do that might be really embarrassing. But by this point, your kid's just a breeze. You don't have to worry about them at all. Okay? So kind of like that. You know, you just, you're just totally relaxed, kind of complete confidence. So the concentration really flows. So it's, that's why spontaneous engagement and the power of familiarity because we're so familiar with the object. Okay, so at this point, you still don't have um, calm abiding. Even though, you know, you're, you're looking more radiant and youthful, you feel light and vigorous, and your dependence on coarse food is, is decreasing. Okay, you just, you don't need to eat so much. And that's actually why, uh, you know, when we sometimes do the, the aid offerings on the altar, the uh, offering of the food, it symbolizes the offering of samadhi, the offering of concentration. And they often talk about the food of samadhi being nourished by the food of concentration. And um, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting analogy because I think it's quite literal in one way. As, as the concentration develops, the need for so much coarse food decreases. The person doesn't need to eat as much. And the, not only their body, but their mind, their heart, everything's completely nourished by the concentration. So I think also, you know, emotionally, there's not this feeling of poverty and neediness either. The mind's completely fulfilled in that sense. I think it's nice to hear about these higher states because it gives us some kind of idea about, you know, the potential of our mind and where things can go if we, if we you know, work at it. <laughs>